have the privilege of continuing in that series. And so, if you remember, the seven signs and the sayings, as it says in John 20, 31, are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the signs were there to point to who Jesus was, that we might believe in him and have life in his name. And likewise, the seven sayings where Jesus refers to that title, God reveals himself to Moses as I am. And seven times in John's gospel, he, he uses I am and what he puts in after it is significant in revealing who he is. And so the purpose is not just to, to point to Jesus for the sake of pointing to Jesus, but so that we can know him more deeply that we can understand, that we can commune, that we can fellowship with him. Not just know about him, but actually know him. And so this morning, we're in John chapter 10, and we're going to look at that saying where Jesus says, I am the gate or door, depending on the translation, gate or door. But to really understand um, what he's saying in chapter 10. We're going to start reading from chapter 9 just so we can flow with the story a bit more. So we'll go from John chapter 9 and verse 13. Feel free to grab your Bibles or read along with me on the screen. <clears throat> they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So Jesus has healed a blind man and they're bringing this man to the Pharisees. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a, blind, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. 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 And so John kind of continues in this theme of seeing and not seeing. We see a man who's healed of his physical blindness, but there's also a spiritual blindness that becomes healed progressively. And so the, the man who is um, healed from blindness, at first when they ask him, who healed you? It's a man they call Jesus. And then it's a prophet. And then, well, actually, he comes from God. And then when Jesus confronts him and asks, do you believe in the Son of Man, which is a messianic title that he would have understood from the book of Daniel, he was saying, do you believe in the Messiah, the one God has sent? And he's like, well, who is he? And Jesus says, it's me. And he does. And as his eyes are now fully open, his response is to worship. Because he has seen who God is. He has acknowledged him. 
and therefore he worships and he becomes a follower, which is different to other people in the scripture we've already seen, like Nicodemus, who saw but then didn't worship and follow. He's gone all the way through and he's gone on this journey from not seeing to fully seeing who Jesus is and responding to him. Whereas the Pharisees, on the other hand, are claiming that they're not blind, but they haven't gone on this same journey, even though they've seen the same things. They've seen the miracle happen, but they keep questioning and doubting and they're stuck in their own ways and they're refusing to see. And so Jesus continues and he's addressing the Pharisees at this point in chapter 10. And he uses the language of sheep and shepherd, which again would have been so familiar to the Jewish people because in the Old Testament, when God speaks of leaders and people, and particularly God as the leader of his people, he refers to a shepherd and the sheep. And so he speaks in Ezekiel saying that the the shepherds who have not done a good job of leading his people because they so much more care about themselves than they do about the actual sheep. And God promises that one day I will shepherd my people. I will be the good shepherd who will look after them, who will treat them well. And I will send myself in the line of David and Jesus comes and he is the good shepherd. And we'll talk more about that next week. But today we want to focus on the gate. But when they hear the language of of sheep and shepherds, so they know he's talking about leadership. and, And sheep, basically they would only respond to their own shepherd's voice. Not because they like, I don't know, they were just wired that way. So if you had a bunch of sheep in a sheep pen and different shepherds would come to get them out and they would whistle on their flute or they would call their particular names or sing their particular names. It's really interesting actually. So the, the, the sound of the flute to um, call the animals, I think for cows it's quite like a strong one and then for goats it's like a kind of... But for sheep, it's gentle, which makes me think about how God deals with us as sheep. He's really gentle with us. Anyway, so they would recognize and they would go automatically. It's kind of a bit like when there's a group of children around and someone starts crying. I'm like, is it mine? And okay, no, it's not mine. I'm good. <laughs> I don't have to go and respond. Um, No, but it takes a village, so if your child is crying, I will. I will do something. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) But it's instinctive. It's, 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 ah, yes, that's my shepherd, so I'm going. They recognize his voice. And so by saying, by referring to sheep and shepherd, and, and, and the fact that the sheep hear his voice and they know him, Jesus is pointing out that the reason this man has responded to me is because he is a sheep and he's recognized a shepherd. He hasn't listened to your voice because you are not the shepherds. You are a stranger, and so he hasn't responded to you. So he's calling them out already, but they still, they don't see it. And interestingly, that word that um, to, to, to hear and to, to, to recognize and to know means to see with the eyes and to perceive so this whole theme, John, again, he wants us to see, to recognize, for our eyes to be open to see who Jesus is so that we can follow him and have life in him. And so they don't get it. They still don't understand. And from verse 6, it says, um, Jesus, uh, the, he uses figures, figure of speech. 
And in verse 7, he just tells them straight, I am the gate. I am the gate. I come through the gate, and I am the shepherd. And Jesus didn't have any problem mixing metaphors up. Neither did the writers of that time. So we don't have to stress ourselves trying to make everything fit nicely. How is he the gate and also walking through the gate? Just hear what he's telling you. Don't, don't try and make it all fit in our 21st century minds. Just hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying as Jesus uses his metaphors. He's not trying to neaten it up. He's just trying to reveal who he is, and he is beyond our comprehension. And so it's, in, it, 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 it's, it's surely by the Spirit of God that our eyes are open and that we can see what he is saying and who he is. And so he says, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the opening. That word in the original, it just means an opening, uh, whether it's a door or a gate, a space that is the entrance to a place. And sometimes, um, depending on the style of the sheep pen, this particular sheep pen was more built up. There isn't an actual door, but there is an opening. And what would happen is the shepherd would sometimes lie down in that space to protect the sheep. And so he was like the actual door. But Jesus, the significance that he's trying to point out here is that him, the door, is the door to salvation. Because in verse 9, it says, all who come through me will be saved. And doors are a really interesting space as you read through the scripture. Um, they're really interesting. There's, there's so much about them. And when Jesus says, come through me and be saved, what he is saying is that through this door and in this door is life. Life is in the door in me. And so if you go back through scripture, Cain and Abel, in the Garden of Eden, humanity had sinned and they were kicked out of the garden. Eden represented life. Eden represented the goodness and the fullness of the life of God and outside was not life. And we find out in scripture that when Cain and Abel brought sacrifices, they brought them to the door of Eden. That's where they brought the sacrifices to meet with God at the door. In um, the Exodus story, well, actually before that, the tabernacle, um, the Exodus happens um, before, but in the tabernacle, there were doors, there were gates, and the altar of sacrifice was at the door. And so in the tabernacle, in the temple, it represented life. And that was where God was. Outside was not. And so to come to that space, to come into it, you come to the door and there is sacrifice at the door to come and step into life. In the Exodus story, the, the Lord is rescuing his people. And he says, make a sacrifice. Take the blood. Put it on the door. Inside the door, there is life. Outside the door, there isn't. If you stay inside, you'll be alive. If you stay out, you won't. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus says, I am the door, but I'm also the sacrifice at the door who shed my blood for you so that you could come in and have life. He is the he is the door, he is the blood, the sacrifice, and he is the good shepherd, as it goes down to say, who lays down his life for the sheep. 
And so in the door, in Jesus is life. And this is what he has been saying from the Garden of Eden, from the very beginning. He is life. He is the very door to life. And he paid the sacrifice all by himself. All we have to do is go through that door. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just want to thank you. Just thank you. This door isn't a one-off experience. Of course, we come to him, and if you have never come to that door, if you don't know that door, you can today. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, you can come to that door for the very first time, and he will give you life, true life. There's no other way in. Any other way will just come and steal, destroy. There's only death. But through him, there is life. But it's not a one-time experience. Because another thing we read about doors in the Old Testament is that there were places of encounter. There were places of encounter and opportunity. So Jacob has this dream in Genesis chapter 28. He has this dream, and there's a ladder going up and down, and there are angels going up and down into heaven. And he wakes up, and he says... In, verse 20, in, in chapter 28 and verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God encounters him, and he calls it the gate, the entrance. There's an encounter there with God. In Exodus 33, from verse 9 to 11, it says, As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at their entrances of their tents. Again, God comes at the gate, at the door. The place of encounter is where his presence comes to meet with his people And you read many times in the Old Testament that the people would gather at the entrance of the temple and that's where the Lord would come and speak to them. Doors are places of encounter. And then in the new temple, the the temple that Ezekiel prophesies to come, Ezekiel 46 and verse 3, on the Sabbath and new moons, the people of the land are to worship in the presence of the Lord at the entrance of that gateway. Again, at the entrance, there's an encounter. And in Revelation 3 and verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying, the door is a place of encounter, but I am the door. So Jesus is the encounter. He is the encounter. The signs are all wonderful, and he provides, and he heals, and he gives food, but they are signs because the real encounter is him. It's him. And so he comes and he says, I am the door. 
I am the place where you experience God. I am the fulfillment of life, and there is life only found in me, and therefore you must come to the door, to me. When I think about encountering a person, let's say Judith, because it's her day. It's her week, really, her birthday week. But when I come into Judith's presence to encounter Judith, I know she'll probably make me a cup of tea, because that's what she does. She'll make sure I'm okay, and she'll give me some great advice, because that's who Judith is. And, and in her presence, that's what happens. But if I only came to Judith because of what she gives me and because of what she does, I would miss out on the actual encounter that Judith is. And so, let's put it this way. When I'm in Judith's presence for long enough, she will ask me the right questions that I don't really want her to ask because she knows there's something going on in me that I'm not saying. That's what happens when I'm in her presence. And I've not come there just because I wanted something, but if I'm there long enough, that's what will happen. Because she's prophetic, she's intuitive, and she loves me. When we come to Jesus, just come to him for who he is. So much more happens than we ever can think, dream, or imagine. That we think we want, or we need, or we know, or don't know. Because he is the encounter. Not just give me this, give me that. Lord, how about we come to him and say, Jesus... What's on your mind? Jesus, God said, how can I do this, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, without first telling Abraham what I'm going to do? And he went and told him because he just knew how to encounter God, to be with him. He is the encounter, not just the stuff that we think we want or need. And if we only ever go to him for those things, we miss out on the fullness of who he is. We'll see part of him, we'll see glimpses, but we don't continue on this journey of fully seeing him. You know, we'll never stop doing that. I wonder if that's why some of the heavenly creatures are covered in eyes, because they're just seeing God all the time, and every time they see him, they say, holy, 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 because that's the response when we see God. We worship when we truly see him, not just for what he has done, but for who he is, the response is worship. And that only happens when you spend enough time to stay in his presence and be there and recognize him as the door, as the life, as the way, as the truth, as God, God of the universe, who decided to come down in flesh so that we could experience him. So that we can have life. And so when we worship and whatever that looks like, and we get tired, why do we get tired? We have to ask ourselves that, why am I tired? What am I looking at? Because for all eternity, I'm going to get tired. The eternal life starts now. Because eternal life, this abundant life that the shepherd came to give, is knowing Jesus. That's what he says. Eternal life is knowing Jesus, is seeing Jesus. And so he is the door, not for just the one time, but for encounter over and over and over and over again. When he says to the woman at the well, if you, you know, drink of this water and you will never thirst again, he is the water. He's saying, come and encounter me. And when he speaks about being the bread of life, he's like, I am the bread of life. 
Come and eat me. Come and encounter me. Look at me, not the water. I am the encounter. I am the answer. I am the solution. And I will provide for all your needs. Because I'm good. I can't be anything else, even if I tried. But we have to learn, like Mary did, to choose the one thing that is really important, that is to sit at his feet. Because he is the door. He is the encounter. Guys, do you want to come up? We were created and designed for unceasing fellowship with Jesus. When we talk about prayer and we talk about a week of prayer and fasting coming up and the different prayer meetings we have, they're all incredible. But Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Not because it's a chore and something we have to do, but because that is what we were designed to do. You were designed for unbroken fellowship with Jesus. At every moment and every point of the day, that is what you were designed for, and that is what sin takes away from us. But in Jesus, we are restored to that, to being with him, to seeing him for who he is. And the more we see him, the response is to worship. Because there are no words that can fully encapsulate who he is. And the more you see him in scripture, the more he blows your mind with the fact that he, he always has been. And he always will be. And this is just so much to take in. And so my response is, you're holy. You're beyond anything that is earthly. And I was designed to encounter you. Thank you.